Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific program for you today, including special guest Bob Levy. Bob is the chairman emeritus of the Cato Institute. We'll continue our discussion about, well, actually start a discussion about the highlights of the next uh, Supreme Court term. Also, Professor Andrew Joppa will be joining us. He's also the author of Josephus of Oz. It is January 31st. Can you believe January is ending today? And on this day in 1950, U.S. President Harry S. Truman publicly announced his decision to support the development of the hydrogen bomb, a weapon theorized to be hundreds of times more powerful than the atomic bombs dropped on Japan during World War II. Five months earlier, the United States had lost its nuclear supremacy with the Soviet Union successfully detonating an atomic bomb in their test site in Kazakhstan. Then, several weeks after that, British and U.S. intelligence came to the staggering conclusion that the German-born Klaus Fuchs, a top-ranking scientist in the United States nuclear program, was a spy for the Soviet Union. These two events and the fact that the Soviets now knew everything that the Americans did about how to build a hydrogen bomb led Truman to approve massive funding for the superpower race to complete in the world's first superbomb, as he described it in his public announcement on January 31st. On November the 1st, in 1952, the United States successfully detonated Mike, the world's first hydrogen bomb in the Pacific Marshall Islands. The 10.4 megaton thuminuclear device, built upon the Teller-Ulam principles of staged radiation implosion, instantly vaporized an entire island <clears throat> and left behind a crater more than a mile wide. The incredible explosive force of Mike was also apparent from the sheer magnitude of the mushroom cloud. With 90, within 90 seconds, the mushroom cloud climbed to 57,000 feet and entered a stratosphere. One minute later, it reached 108,000 feet and eventually stabilized a ceiling of 120,000 feet. Half an hour after the test, the mushroom stretched 60 miles across with the base of the head joining the stem at 45,000 feet. Three years later, on November 22, 1955, the Soviet Union detonated its first hydrogen bomb on the same principle of radiation implosion. Both superpowers are now in possession of the hell bomb, as was known by many Americans in the world, lived under the threat of thuminuclear war uh, for the first time in history. And yet with that threat, we actually had a period of peace, a long period of peace that uh, we're not experiencing right now. Well, stocks were mixed on Tuesday with investors in a holding pattern as they await a decision on interest rates from the Fed at the conclusion of the two-day meeting today. The road was smoother for GM, which climbed 8% after demolishing quarterly revenue expectations by $4 bucks. A one-way attack drone crashed in the Jordanian base uh, Saturday night and killed three service members and injured 25 others. Iran-backed military groups operating in Syria and Iraq carried out the attack, sparking a major escalation in the Middle East, according to the White House. White House correspondent Jackie Heinrich said Biden had yet to contact the families of Sergeant William Rivers, Specialist Kennedy Sanders, and Specialist Breonna Moffat. 
No call from the president. I guess his calendar is pretty booked up, as you can imagine. <clears throat> it's just not acceptable. He should have called them and the families immediately. Well, six pro-life activists were found guilty of blocking access to an abortion clinic on Tuesday and could face a sentence of up to 11 years in prison, according to a press release from the Thomas More Society. The Department of Justice charged 11 pro-life activists in October 2022 with violating the Freedom of Access to a Clinic Entrances, or the FACE Act, which prohibits threats of force, obstruction, and property damage intended to interfere with the reproductive health care services. Now, mind you, they were praying. <laughs> and how belligerent is that? Uh, for blocking the entrance of an abortion clinic in March of 2021. A jury ruled that the six defendants were guilty uh, after a six-day trial. We are, of course, disappointed with the outcome. Stephen Crampton, senior counsel for the Thomas More Society, which is representing Paul Vaughn, said, This is a peaceful demonstration by entirely peaceful citizens filled with prayer, hymn singing, and worship oriented towards persuading expecting mothers not to abort their babies. Unfortunately, the Biden Department of Justice decided to characterize Paul Vaughn's peaceful actions as a felony conspiracy against rights to intimidate and punish Paul and other pro-life people and people of faith. In addition to the prison sentence, the pro-life activists could face a $350,000 fine, according to the DOJ's press release. The Thomas More Society said they plan to appeal the conviction. Well, certainly they will. This is just so totally absurd. But again, it just proves, I think, the lawless nature of the Department of Justice and how politicized uh, their efforts can be. Well, senior U.S. and Chinese officials are set to meet this week in Beijing to discuss methods to curb the supply of fentanyl from China to America. The meetings on Tuesday and Wednesday will launch uh, U.S. PRC counter-narcotics working group, a task force that is aimed to combat global illicit drugs manufacturing and trafficking, including the highly addictive and deadly opioid uh, fentanyl. The uh, objective of the task force is to tackle the illicit production, financing, and distribution of drugs, in addition to supporting bilateral enforcement actions. Chinese uh, precursor chemicals are primarily responsible for the production of fentanyl in the United States. A significant portion of the chemicals are smuggled to Mexico, where they are manufactured into the drug. In this regard, the U.S. Treasury Department launched a similar task force in Mexico last month. The Biden administration has been working with China to st stamp out fentanyl smuggling from China since November 2020. Now, this is a working group, a committee. Have you ever seen a statue built uh, to celebrate a community uh, committee? I never have. And it uh, seems absurd to me. If uh, Trump were in office right now, he'd pick up the phone or, or perhaps get in person with the uh, premier of China. And yeah, I think he'd simply say, this has got to stop and has to stop now. And that would be the end of it, quite frankly. That's my take of, uh, that's my take of uh, what's happening right now. Nevertheless, they've got a working group and they're going to work through it and find a solution after months and months, I'm sure. Well, over the past 14 months, the Dow has been on a tear, and so has the NASDAQ. <clears throat> but for startups and venture capital, the last two years have been an undertow. <clears throat> Between 2021 and 2023, venture capital funding for deals has taken a nosedive, down 52%, according to the Wall Street Journal. Venture capital funding is the lifeblood for many startup companies moving beyond the stage uh, one funding, typically where you raise money from family and friends. The number of major deals has also collapsed. 
The venture capital deal count for the four of the largest VC firms has fallen by more than half from nearly 700 in 2021 to about 300 last year. The Wall Street Journal claims that Fed uh, interest rates cuts expected this year combined with a torrent of uh, all new AI-related startups will turn the tide. We'll see. But there's a profound risk overhang right now to new startups, uh, not mentioned in in the media or the industry itself. If Biden were to be reelected next year, taxes on capital gains could nearly double, and we could see the introduction of a new Biden wealth tax imposed on unrealized capital gains. Can you imagine? He also wants to raise the highest income tax rate, which is paid by small business owners and partners. This evidence is overwhelmingly that the capital gains taxes are highly negative associated with uh, venture capital funding. Who wants to invest in a risky venture that could uh, lose everything, but when the government is threatening to snatch away 40% of the profits if there's any gain. Can you imagine that? Is that kind of the playing field you'd like to be on with as a venture capitalist, as a, as a business startup? Unbelievable. Well, the commissioners of agriculture of 12 states have sent a blistering letter to the big banks all uh, over their net zero pledges and their disastrous impacts, such as the policy we'll have on agriculture and food costs. Here's what they wrote. Achieving net zero greenhouse gas emissions in agriculture requires a complete overhaul of on-farm infrastructure, one of the goals of the NZBA. This would have a catastrophic impact on farmers. A proposed net zero um, roadmap to uh, the charges, uh, costly charges to American farming and ranchers' operations, which is switching to electric machinery and equipment, installing on-site solar panels and wind turbines, moving to organic fertilizer, altering uh, rice field irrigation systems, and slashing U.S. Uh, meat consumption in half, costing millions of livestock jobs. To make matters worse, these charges will increase food costs and decrease food production at a time when global food demand is expected to rise dramatically. The green premium from low-emissions ammonia alone is predicted to increase fertilizer costs by up to 60% and food prices by up to 26%, even according to net-zero proponents like the World Economic Forum. In other words, net-zero fossil fuels could mean millions of people around the planet could go hungry, suffer malnutrition, or even starve. So this is some way to save the planet, isn't it? So this Green New Deal, I mean, we're seeing uh, signs of failure of this plan all over the place, including with EVs. And now uh, this announcement from the farming industry that uh, and agriculture business that uh, these, these uh, Green New Deal plans <clears throat> are going to ruin uh, the production of food around the globe. Well, squad member uh, Representative Cory Bush is now being investigated by the Department of Justice for misuse of federal funding in private security, private spending. On Monday, the Department of Justice announced subpoena on the floor of Congress without detailing who it was for. A watchdog group, the Nonpartisan Foundation for Accountability and Civic Trust, has demanded that the Federal Election Commission investigate the $62,000 she paid to her husband, now her husband, Courtney Merritts, for security for a campaign account, according to the Daily Mail. When asked about the security before in, in an interview, Bush was adamant that she needed to spend the money on security in the ethics complaint. By the way, this is a person that wants to uh, reimagine the police, if you will, and now she needs extra security. What a hypocrite. 
In the ethics complaint, uh, FACT Executive Director Kendra Arnold wrote, it appears Representative Bush's campaign made a payment for services that was unnecessary or above fair market value because of her personal relationship with a payee. If so, these payments would qualify as either impermissible as payments to a family member or impermissible great gift, Arnold added. Bush was married to Merritt in February 2023, according to a copy of her own office press release that was posted online. The congressional representative has spent $756,000 on security since she was elected in 2020 and has also been her largest expense. Unacceptable. Unbelievable. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. And now serving dinner, 4 to 8 p.m., Wednesdays through Saturdays, a terrific menu. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambos says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252 252- 4541 Welcome back to the Bob Harden show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty 
personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Professor Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. He is the Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Good to be with you. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and focused on defending free markets, private property, securing individual liberty, and limited government. C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Thank you, Bob. Last time we visited, we were talking about uh, federalism. I have a couple more questions I'd like to ask you about uh, the limits of federalism. Uh, what's likely to happen and what's going to be the impact of leaving abortion now that we've uh, passed uh, the law overturning Roe v. Wade, leaving it up to the states? So the states are going to be exercising what's called the police power. Uh, it's an unusual name because it refers not just to police, but to the control over things like health and safety and welfare, and even, in some cases, morals. So we're going to leave it up to the state legislatures when it comes to abortion. It's an imperfect solution because there's still a lot of questions that are going to remain. What do you do about rape and incest? Uh, how about if the mother's health is impaired? Uh, what about people that cross state lines and they have a trouble meeting uh, the financial needs to do so? Uh, but, you know, bear in mind that federal intervention uh, wouldn't make those problems go away. Right. Uh, they still exist. And a single set of nationwide rules, if we had that, that would negate the role that the states play mm -hmm. as experimental labs in our uh, federalist system. So if a state establishes objectionable rules, the options are either vote for different legislators or travel to a state that has more uh, congenial rules. And if the traveling is too costly, uh, then financial aid, uh, preferably private aid, uh, would certainly be appropriate. Right. But what's not appropriate, indeed what I think is unconstitutional, is for the residents of, say, California to impose their rules on the residents of Texas or vice versa. And in the Dobbs case, uh, the Supreme Court didn't decide uh, the rules. It decided who's going to make the rules. Sounds like a good outcome to me. So are there circumstances that would justify federal inf uh, intervention on abortion? Yeah, uh, it might be constitutionally justified if a state barred interstate shipment of abortion-related items in violation of the Commerce Clause, or maybe if a state imposed, say, a 30-year prison term for doctors who perform abortions. That might be considered uh, cruel and unusual punishment. And, you know, the 14th Amendment might justify federal intervention if there were different abortion rules for whites and blacks. So, you know, that would flout the Equal Protection Clause. Or even if a state banned abortions, even when a mother's life uh, was at stake, which might defy the Due Process Clause. But, you know, you can, you can address those cases as they arise. Mm -hmm. um, Roe v. Wade was a much broader uh, application. It sought... I think without Congress, uh, constitutional authorization, to establish a generalized national right to abortion. Mm -hmm. And in Dobbs, the Supreme Court said no and invoked uh, the principles of, of federalism that one of the centerpieces of our constitutional uh, system. 
Thank you for that, Bob. You know, the in fact, uh, the Supreme Court is taking up a case about abortion uh, this term. Uh, we'll be talking about the cases that uh, the Supreme Court will be taking a look at here in just a moment. But that's uh, kind of an interesting one because it's, it involves uh, getting mail order drugs in order to create or, or, or start an abortion process. Indeed. <clears throat> it will be a big case about mifepristone. Yes. So, uh Let's talk about the Supreme Court agenda for 23-24 term. Uh, for background purposes, what were the major holdings from two years ago in 2021 and 22? Well, it was a blockbuster, blockbuster term, as we mentioned, overturning Roe v. Wade, uh, essentially letting each state set its abortion rules, plus establishing a new framework for reviewing gun regulations and blocking the Biden administration from mandating vaccinations for private companies, and affirming that greenhouse gases under the Clean Air Act was a what the court called a major question that can't be delegated to the EPA unless Congress issues a clear statement given the agency broad authority. So, you know, those decisions, they were big ones, but they didn't settle the matters. And three of those issues, abortion and guns and the scope of administrative authority, are, are back before the court again in this uh, this coming year's term. So interesting. So how about major holdings from a year ago, a 22-23 term? Yeah, that was also pivotal. Uh, on free speech and gay rights, the court held that creating a website uh, was expressive speech protected by the First Amendment, uh, despite Colorado's law that barred uh, discrimination against gay couples. And on election law, the court held that state legislatures set the rules, but they can be reviewed by state courts. And that decision um, trumped Trump's claim mm -hmm. that state legislatures could unilaterally reject presidential electors chosen by the voters. And then there was racial gerrymandering. That was another issue that's going to be reexamined this year. And the, the court held that Alabama had to create a second black majority district to correspond more closely with the state's racial mix, even if that meant concentrating blacks in fewer districts. And then there was the regulation of wetlands. Uh, the court embraced, again, the, the major question doctrine and insisted that the Clean Water Act uh, didn't cover uh, waters unless they had a close connection to interstate navigation. Uh, and you'll recall um, on student loans, um, the court held that the Biden administration could not cancel debts by executive order. That is so interesting. Lots of big decisions, uh, not a lot of movement, though. What about the two big cases on student loans and affirmative action? Yeah, as I mentioned, student loans said no deal by executive order. Uh, the federal statute said that waive or modify uh, was okay, but not cancel. And the waiving or modifying had to apply only in an emergency, which the Biden administration said no longer existed. We're talking about COVID, of course. Mm -hmm. And only if a student was impacted uh, by the non-existent uh, emergency. And then lastly, on affirmative action, the court held that Harvard and the University of North Carolina could not use race as an admissions criterion, even if the goal was to achieve a diverse uh, student body and in part that was because if they did that it would discriminate against uh, Asians. 
Is that going to splash on the decisions on gerrymandering? I mean, in other words, are they going to take an affirmative action? Are they going to take into account their view on affirmative action in these cases that are taking up race when it comes to gerrymandering? I think they will. Um, not so much on gerrymandering, but certainly on these uh, DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion programs mm -hmm. that are now going to be challenged uh, because the affirmative action case basically said you can't be practicing identity politics having the government enforce that. So if the government is pressuring these corporations to include DEI programs, I suspect there's going to be a lot of challenge to those uh, programs, even if they're done by private corporations. Well, Bob, I tell you, I don't think I remember a year, or at least to me, it's, uh, that the Supreme Court has played a more important role in uh, making de important decisions about uh, constitutionality of what's what's going on in the government. Uh, was the court ideologically divided as critics have charged? Well, critics said so, um, but I think they were mostly wrong. Only five <clears throat> out of last year's 59 decisions were split along liberal versus conservative lines, and that's a lower number than any of the previous six years. And the most conservative justices, that's Thomas and Alito, they dissented more than the most liberal justices, which is Jackson and Sotomayor. In fact, Sotomayor was in the majority 80, 82% of the time, huh. and Jackson 84%. Of course, you know, we don't know if that pattern is going to persist this year, and there are some important cases that could well separate the conservatives uh, from, the, from the liberals. Um, I'm gonna, I'm, we're going to talk about some of those. Uh, yeah. cases. Typically, the court decides about 60 to 70 cases annually. That's out of roughly 8,000 yeah. petitions for review that they receive uh, each year. So the cases we're going to talk about are, are really the cream of the crop, uh, and uh, <clears throat> they very much warrant uh, discussion because of the impact uh, they're going to have on public policy. Well, that kind of sets the pins for next week's discussion. We're going to talk about some of the cases that the Supreme Court will be reviewing. In the meantime, Bobby, just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. Good to be with you. Thank you, Bob. And again, the website is cato.org, C-A-T-O dot org. Okay, coming up, Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Make it a convenient and stress-free experience by calling the dynamic and trustworthy husband and wife team of Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties. Find out about their unique and complimentary post-closing concierge services not offered by other area agents. Matt and Megan Chionis give you the competitive advantage to command a premium price for your property. They personally attend all showings, create a marketing strategy for your property, and offer that complimentary concierge service to your potential buyer. This hands-on approach has helped them set several sales records in Pelican Bay and many at near-record prices. Megan and Matt Chionis understand that as an affluent buyer-seller, your needs and desires are unique. You deserve this level of service. Megan and Matt Chionis are passionate about the Naples lifestyle and they want you to enjoy it too. Call Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties at 239-269-269. 
5310. That's 239-269-5310. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratospel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Tim Garrett, candidate for Cuyahoga County Supervisor of Elections. Tim's a 33-year resident of Cuyahoga County, a military veteran, a retired sheriff's officer, and a graduate of the FBI National Academy. He stands for Safe, Secure, Ethical Elections in Cuyahoga County. Vote for Tim Garrett and check out his website, votefortimgarrett.com. Paid for by Tim Garrett, Republican for Cuyahoga County Supervisor of Elections. We have with us Professor Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. I always look forward to our Wednesday discussions, and we usually start off with some good news. you have any good news for us? Well, I have a, a few good news stories, semi-good news stories, but let me start out with a few quotations, which I do on occasion. They, they seem to ring true. Uh, one is by Will Rogers. Uh, Rogers said, This country has come to feel the same way when Congress is in session as when a baby gets hold of a hammer. Now, that, that seemed to have just the absolute ring of truth. Uh, another one is by uh, Dan Bennett. And he said, An elected official, official is one who gets 51% of the vote cast by 40% of the 60% of voters who registered. Now, obviously, those, those are fairly close to being very accurate numbers, and I think it represents uh, one of the, the, the failures of our democracy, if we might call us a democracy. And one last one before we get into uh, the more substantive news. Uh, it's by uh, Simon Cameron that was offered back around 1850, uh, and he said, An honest politician is one who, when he is bought, will stay bought. Now, to, that, 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 again, <laughs> all, all seem to satisfy my inner angst about the political process, Bob. So uh, from there, we will move into a couple of good news stories. Hey, you so wanna... Andy, Andy, can I offer you a quote that I, one of my favorites? A- absolutely. Bob. Okay. So he says, and this is Mark Twain now, he says, which is, he's always so wise. What gets us in trouble is not what we don't know. It's what we know for sure that just ain't so. Oh, just there is no more valid truth in the whole world than that. And people think of Mark Twain as this good old boy laid back and a, a gentle humorist, but he was a penetrating commentary, a commentator on the American scene. So uh, if you get into any deep reading of Mark Twain, you'll find some remarkable things that will surprise most most readers, Bob. Absolutely, and I'll, I'll also point out that uh, I've read everything that he wrote, and uh, one of the things is that later in his life, he became much more dark and sinister in his view of the uh, American politic- political process. 
Well, with with that in mind, I will find a relationship between myself and Mark Twain because I I am heading in those same directions as I get into my later years, Bob. So uh, I have to fight it because again, I don't want to be just some cynic that's driven by by the aging process. I, I'd like to think that my wisdom has emerged in my in my later years. And yeah. uh, but you know, we we can debate which of those two things is happening. Well, I think you're wise beyond your years even today, Andy. So, uh, but I appreciate that. Quotes. So, any good news? Well, a semi good news story. Kathy Griffin, the supposed uh, comedian, uh, has issued a plea for fans to purchase more of her stand up comedy tour tickets as she admitted they were not selling well. Now, I'm always of the mind it's a good news story when somebody on the deep left uh, finds some uh, obvious form of uh, pushback against who they are, and right. I think that's that's obviously what's going on with, with Kathy Griffin. No one, or very few people, actually want to see her perform, at least not for money. Uh, and another good news story, and these are becoming redundant, but I'll, I'll offer it anyway, uh, President Joe Biden should not run for president again in 2024, with 70% agreeing. Uh, now that's, uh, again, a story that has uh, a, weekly, uh, a weekly update, uh, this week's update is 70%. Now, let me add a downside to that upside or, or a good news story. Uh, they also asked, is he too old to work in government? And 74% agree. Now, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an, an older man, not old, but older man. Yeah. Uh, and I think that the use of age uh, with, without any other uh, categorization of it, is as biased and bigoted as using race, as using gender, uh, as a category of, of, uh, of, of discrimination. Absolutely. Uh, so I think age, some people at 81 are, are, are brilliant, others are not. But of course we could say the same thing for someone at 50. Right. Some are brilliant, some are not. So I think when we're talking about people, age is not in itself, as they use it, a, a category that defines anyone or anything. It is not inherently a deficiency. Now, again, I'm probably more sensitive to that because I am 81, So, uh, but I think it's a valid point I'm making regardless. Oh, absolutely, and I'll, I'm just so grateful that you made this point because it's been something that's been on my mind for a while. It's so important because the, this is one of the efforts now in order, in order to say age is important, uh, and why aren't we questioning uh, Trump's age and his qualifications to be president based on that? And it's, it's a totally bogus conversation i mean uh the the uh the great uh, writer from spain who wrote uh, the, about the windmills stopping the windmills what was it called i forgot now but uh nevertheless he was he was 92 when he wrote that uh, that novel so yeah, i mean this is the, you know the the absurdity of it and it, it it's allowed to pass it is one of the more <laughs> active forms of bias and discrimination uh, in this nation with the presumption that older people. Uh, at, I don't know what age you become older, but when you're older, uh, I think you're older when people, when you, if you die, people don't say he died so young. I think that's an obvious statement that the person is old. On the other hand, we can look at some of the great accomplishments of uh, people on this planet over our whole history and find right. that uh, a great deal of them were accomplished by people who were uh, at that time, uh, were aged, Bob. Well, I must say, uh, my definition of old is when be people begin to tell you that you look good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, like with amazement, Bob. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
uh, I, I've always thought it was inappropriate when somebody looks in an open coffin and they say, oh, he looks so good. No, I don't want to look good at that point. I want to have used it all up. I don't want to, I don't want to have a lot left of me where I lay there when I look good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Any other good news? Uh, that, that's about the good news stories, and I had a reach for those, obviously. So, uh, I, as I mentioned to you off, offline, I, I don't have a dramatic focus today, but I have some uh, very specific issues that I think are worth discussion. They are discussing. They are part of the uh, the political or social constructs of America, and yet I think they should be challenged. And we don't have that happening. So these are the type of issues I I like to to, to sink my intellectual teeth in uh, because again I think they deserve to be challenged. So it will be with that in mind that I'll talk about the next few items. For uh, example, all right. Well, you know, Andy, this sounds this is a great place to take a break and pick up with that after the break. If you say it's a great place, I will accept it. All right, we're gonna have more here on the Bob Harden Show on okay. the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Two-thirds of parents prefer educational options for their children, with 40% strongly preferring options for their child's education. School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit corporation, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior quality schools of choice. Optima's goal was the successful launch of Hillsdale College Varney Charter School, Initiative Classical Academies, and other schools of excellence across the state of Florida, serving kindergarten through the 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through a content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. In a terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy has already opened here in Naples. You can find out more by visiting the website Optima.Foundation. Help children in Florida optimize their educational opportunities. Visit www.Optima.Foundation. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. And you can find out more and get some tickets to some great upcoming performances. Visit the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good to be here, Bob. 
Thank you, Andy. Before the break, uh, we talked about the fact that you had a number of things that you'd like to discuss, so somewhat uh, separated in, in many ways, but also having some common themes. Themes. Uh, and by the way, I'd like to just mention this. You'd mentioned that uh, Biden and, and whether he would be on the ticket for running for president. Talk with somebody who's so interesting yesterday, and she said that uh, the reason why he's not in the primaries is uh, they want uh, actually to replace him in the Democrat convention. And uh, they, her, her thoughts were that it would be uh, the governor of California, along with uh, Big Mike, uh, Michelle Obama. <laughs> Big Mike. <laughs> yeah, look, there's all kinds of interpretations as to the absurdity of allowing Joe Biden to become the nominee of the uh, Democrat Party. <laughs> Um, it's, it's hard to imagine. I have positioned it as it only takes place if the election results are already guaranteed through the manipulation of the vote that's going on right now before the fact. Right. Uh, that, that's just my view. I have nothing to, to substantiate that except that uh, I, I know the Democratic Party well enough to understand that if it can be done, it is being done. Bob. Right, so right. Uh, that would be my interpretation of what uh, Joe Biden represents. I would agree with that, uh, Andy. So, but I interrupt your train of thought. What are some of the things that you'd like to discuss? Well, these are things that sort of gnaw at me because there's so little pushback or even any pushback uh, in terms of uh, the damage that they they do. The first one I'll just bring up, Bob, is jury selection. Now, jury selection at this point in America takes place with this process of very, very uh, filtered process of choosing jurors. I mean, we can look at the, uh, the, the Trump trials and say, how can there be that many idiotic jurors? Mm -hmm. uh, and the answer is, well, they are selected because of their idiocy. Uh, so we have a process of jury selection uh, that automatically filters into the process uh, people that are destined to, in the uh, either in the prosecution or the defense's mind, to vote in a certain direction. Right. That certainly doesn't smack of a jury of your peers with that type of selection process. I would favor that there be a general pool of, of voters that are approved, and for every trial that 12 are chosen at random uh, through some arbitrary process of selection so that it truly is a jury of your peers as closely as we can create it. So jury selection, this filter process that has always bothered me, uh, and I think it's a, it's, it's a very negative process. We can see it primarily operating at this point in terms of the jurors that are hearing are sitting for, the, for their Trump trials, Bob. Well, uh, you know, the uh, proof of the pudding is in the tasting. And when you take a look at the results of the juries that uh, end up making decisions, the most egregious yesterday was the decision about uh, the uh, uh, Christians who are singing hymns in front of abortion clinics and ended up getting uh, the possibility of 11 years in jail and a $350,000 fine. <laughs> so I mean, certainly, and then the, the, the settlement against Trump, uh, liability set, settlement with Kepfer Carroll for, what is it, $83 million. Just, yeah. But I think that was, a, was that a judge uh, decision? Or yes. Was that a jury? I, I believe that was a judge. A, I think that was isolated to a judge, yeah. Which is a, you know, certainly in the same category of, of how judges are selected. So let, let me move on to something else which, uh, which has been bothering me, and uh, it's something we're seeing right now, is the issue of open primaries. Mm -hmm. Now, an open primary, for your listeners who haven't been uh, involved with this, is, is where in, in many states... Uh, people who are uh, not registered members of a given party can vote. Now, in some states, you have to be an independent. In other words, you can't be registered for the other party. But you can vote for any party if you're independent. In some states, 
anybody can vote for anybody in the primary. Now, I'm guessing somebody might think this sounds very good. If, unless we look at the essential intent of a primary, uh, I think it can be easily defined as a political party choosing the, the nominee for their party that is supported by the members of that party. Mm-hmm. That is what a closed primary offers. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the intent of the, of the primary. Now, where this gets uh, distorted is because the primary process is, in fact, funded by government. And once the government gets involved with funding, they think they have an associated right to determine the characteristic of that primary. So uh, I would suggest if we have entirely open primaries, there is no purpose served by the primary and no political party, especially the Republican Party, should not be involved with this process. So I'm advocating for closed primaries. I see no purpose, logical purpose to open primaries. And yet, they exist in approximately half of the states right now in America, Bob. I did not realize it was half of the states. I knew it happened in, in Alaska in the last uh, legislative uh, uh, election. Well, it happened in New Hampshire also. It, that, that's not a completely open primary, but, but independents can cross over and vote for uh, the, the party of their choice. Well, and so, it, I mean, it, it seems to me if you are a member of a party, yes, that uh, certainly should guarantee you the right to vote. But on the other hand, it defeats the, the, the basic purpose of the primary uh, to allow anyone to vote or people who are not members of that party to vote. By. Right, and just to, to illustrate the point and, and bring it home is the fact of the matter, in, in some cases you can end up with uh, the final two uh, people on the ballot, that mean uh, they they usually eliminate all but two uh, candidates at the end of the process uh, to, to run for the election. They could be from the same party, and many times that they are. Well, uh, those are in the states where they just list all of the candidates with, yeah. without necessary party uh, designation and have people just vote for one candidate of, of that process. And, that, and you can, as you're describing, have two people emerge that are of the same party. So, you know, I think this also uh, damages the intent of the primary process. So right. uh, if we're going to have primaries at all, I think they should serve their design function or the uh, function they were designed to, to fulfill, Bob. Well, the other thing that happens, too, is you could have rank voting. You vote for uh, your first, second, third uh, choice, which really complicates things and creates all kinds of opportunity for uh, fraud in the election process. Well, you're absolutely correct. I can create an intellectual defense of rank choice, but uh, when it comes to reality of assessing rank choice, you're describing it exactly, Bob. Uh, the complexity of it just allows for a greater opportunity for manipulation of that final vote count. Uh, so... Uh, open primaries, I think that's one of the important things. What about the Supreme Court? Well, this, I'm, I'm going to talk about the Supreme Court collectively under uh, a DEI, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. Uh, if we look at the recent decision in terms of the, uh, the Abbott uh, installation on the southern border of, of Texas of the, the barbed wire barrier, uh, the Supreme Court ruled five, five to four that the Border Patrol can uh, remove that uh, that barrier uh, based on some unknown constitutional allowance. Now, I, uh, at the last I heard on this, the, the Border Patrol is, is refusing or not, if, I'm not sure they're using the word refusing, but they're not uh, taking apart that barbed wire. So uh, that may be a very good news portion of that story. Right. Uh, but if we look at the Supreme Court right now, we have four people on that court 
that are there primarily, maybe exclusively, because they are DEI appointees. You have Katanji Brown-Jackson, you've got Sotomayor, you've got Kagan, and I think Barrett also is in that category. So in the 5-4 to four decision, uh, def- uh, suggesting uh, what I just talked about in terms of the barbed wire, you have Katanji Brown-Jackson, Sotomayor, uh, Kagan, and Barrett uh, coupling with the inexplicable John Roberts, who I, I have no understanding of John Roberts' mindset, but uh, th- that's a DEI construct. Now, if we extend this further, there are many interesting stories that, that pertain particularly to United Airlines and Boeing. Uh, if we look at one of the comments recently from a, a former uh, woman pilot in the United States Air Force, one of the, one of the earlier uh, pilots in the Air Force, uh, state senator in Arizona, Wendy Rogers, she indicated that she is terrified of flying with a woman pilot, believing that diversity of choice, which always means less than best, mm-hmm. is putting her life at jeopardy uh, because of the fact that this is not the best pilot to be in that seat. Uh, so I think these are, these are issues. We can look at the, the Boeing problem with the, uh, the lack of, of bolt plugs in the door. Uh, as, as best I understand that all of those 737s coming out of Boeing did not have those bolt ins- bolts installed on that door. Now, is this a DEI problem? I don't know. Mm-hmm. We don't know. But I'll tell you, as these things unfold, I, I think they're going to be defined as DEI, even if they're not. So the, the point I'm making is that by having diversity, equity, and inclusion being the major basis for, uh, for selection, uh, everything that goes wrong will be attributed to that. Now, some are, mm-hmm. but I think what it does, it creates this, this unfortunate category of defining people in that way. For example, uh, the recent base attack by the, by the drone in, in, uh, in Syria, uh, essentially uh, that was missed by the base personnel because they thought it was an American drone returning from a prior mission. Right. So that drone got through, killing three Americans and wounding uh, uh, multiple uh, numbers beyond that. Uh, it, that was, again, a human error. So we're looking at uh, things that, that take place uh, that may in fact be, I can't define it that way, but we can uh, work with a basic presumption that many of the problems that we're experiencing are a derivative of DEI, Diversity, equity, and inclusion, which, let me repeat that point, because I think it it is an accurate point that must be made. DEI is always a less-than-best decision. So when that takes place, I think everything that happens beyond that becomes seriously suspect in terms of what's going on. Boy, I couldn't agree more, Andy. Need to take a little break. Can you stick around? I'll be here. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, You'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. 
Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I hope you'll check out the website, thefga.org. We continue our conversation with Professor Andrew Joppa. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good to be here, Bob. Thank you, Andy. Uh, so we're picking up here with some of the things we were discussing that are on your mind. Uh, for example, uh uh, open board, open uh, elections, and uh, the Supreme Court jury selection. That whole series of uh, government constructs that I think are damaging or inappropriate. So l- let me just add one more to that that pile because this is this is one that I have a personal involvement with. I, I stand actively against government promoting actively promoting behaviors that are addictive. Now, I I know that this will put me in the vast minority as I say this, but the government right now, because of the tax revenues in many states, actively promotes the use of cannabis, of of the use of of marijuana. Mm -hmm. Now, again, we could debate forever whether or not it should be legal or illegal. That's a whole different discussion. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the government promotion of, of this kind of addictive behavior as a basis for uh, you uh, uh, making revenues from that source that has bothered me. I think it's inherently immoral, and I think it's inherently inappropriate. Uh, there's also another one, which is the government uh, active support and promotion of gambling. Yes, now we've seen this with the lotteries, and we've seen this with the scratch-offs, and and so forth. I mean, the amount of gambling going on in this country is enormous. Yes, uh, of course. Now we've got legalized sports betting, which is uh, which is taking place now. My personal involvement with this issue is my father Bob, was a was an addicted gambler. I think most people have no understanding of the absolute power of this over a human being. Right. Uh, addiction to gambling uh, it can drive every moment of every day of their lives. Right. To me, for for government to actively support things that are gambling, uh, that, that is inherently inappropriate. Right. Again, uh, I'm not going to suggest that I would move to eliminate all gambling. I'm not in that category. Right. But in terms of government support, essentially as a basis for raising revenue, uh, I think it is immoral. Uh, I would also think in a, in a way it is illegal, Bob. Well, I, I couldn't agree more. And the fact of the matter is we do promote things that 
are addictive and uh, at at some level we've got to express real concern about that because uh many people get they have this you know gambling they actually has a physiological reaction that we and the way our bodies react it becomes addictive and it's uh, very scary so uh, i don't know if we have enough barriers up to permit you know or to help people deal with their addiction if in fact they get uh, get caught up in this well, I think they have little disclaimers on all of the ads, you yeah. know, that, that the, the, you have to control your, your involvement with this and not use money that's, that's the mortgage money. But uh, you can't tell that to an addicted gambler. I, no. I've seen my, my father leave the house at 11 o'clock at night during a snowstorm to get a bed in. I mean, this is a, this is a powerful powerful addiction and i think any and it's not just a rare addiction uh the the risk-taking instinct is built into the human uh process uh, and when it becomes exaggerated as it does with the addicted gambler it is the entirety of their lives bob so yeah. uh, we're talking about something that's in that category i just don't think it's something that the citizens of a nation should be supporting with their with their tax money to get tax money bob well, thank you for that, and thank you for your uh, the disclosure and transparency. That uh, I think that's helpful to our listeners. Well, sometimes you have to get a little personal so that the experience can be given a depth that uh, just a general remark would not offer. So I offer that in, in, in that context. My father was a, a good man, maybe even a great man in many ways, but he was an addicted gambler, Bob, and yeah. it damaged his life and our lives dramatically. Ah, so interesting. Well, thank you for that, Andy. So, Andy, uh, we're about to wind up. Any Anything else on your mind? I... Let's see. Now we only have a little while. Let, let me just point out the uh, the absurdity of of Cory Bush. Now I don't know whether you've been following oh, her absolutely. story her, her misuse of some of her security funds. Uh, she is using a security uh, uh, person, one of her personal um, background people, let's call him Nathaniel Davis, who claims he's 109 trillion years old. And he also claims that the Jews control the world. Uh, Cory Bush has paid him $137,000 uh, since 2020. Uh, this is a person that is ill-equipped for any kind of real security role. This is obviously just a misuse of, of the funds set aside for, for her security. Uh, Cory Bush also comes from a, uh, a religious branch. And, yes, I'm going to uh, attack this. These are, she comes from a religious uh, group. Uh, that not only is promotes faith healing that's uh, that can be debated, uh, but on the other hand, they say they have resurrected people from the dead. So here we have a representative of our government who is involved with some of the most absurd concepts, and of course, that is not unusual for many people, uh, uh, elected people on on the left. Bob yeah. Corey Bush is just my immediate example of that phenomenon. Absolutely. Well, Andy, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here in the show again. Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz, off topic for today's discussion, but a terrific read, Josephus of Oz. Andy, really appreciate your commentary on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Does that mean you're paying today, Bob? No. <laughs> We're having breakfast together right after this, so uh, the answer is no, Bob. <laughs> I'll see you later. Bob. All right. Thank you so much. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. Learned a lot. We've got some great guests for tomorrow's show, including Keith Law, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance, Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government, Dr. George Markovich, orthopedic surgeon, and the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs> Thanks 
so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.